So often we as pro-lifers are used to having people answer our question, what do you think about abortion with a justification for abortion or some kind of sentiments about their support? So what are you supposed to do when somebody says they're pro-life? That's what I'm going to talk about today. Stay tuned. Hi, folks. Welcome back to the Pro-Life Guys podcast, a show dedicated to equipping you with the tools that you need to have compassionate and compelling conversations so that together we can change minds, save lives, and transform our culture. My name is Cam. I am the host of the show. Thank you to all of you who are tuning in, whether for the first time or whether you're a longtime listener. Um, again, I, I kind of apologize, um, kind of uh, want to explain a little bit more. So um, I, I know that I've been talking about doing apologetics every Tuesday and doing um, bonus content, Humans of the Pro-Life Movement, other stuff like that every Thursday. Um, we're flip-flopping it this week um, based on how this conversation, not really conversation because I'm just talking about myself, talking to you. So yeah, you and I are kind of in conversation, but there's no guests today. Um, but this is building on the last episode of my reaction video to Ben Shapiro and Tom McDonald and their song Facts. Um, and, and I just figured that that was a better precursor for this rather than posting this one first and then talking about that one. Um, and so people heard a lot of my feedback on um, Ben Shapiro being the number one rapper in America. And, and I'm sure that it's globally as well. But um, Ben Shapiro and Tom McDonald and their hit song, Facts, um, and how it can be cathartic and how tempting it can be to make it the anthem of the conservative and pro-life movement. Um, but why I don't think that it should be, why I think that not only do we have better anthems out there, but also more importantly, um, we need to be very, very conscious of how our frustration with the culture, how our um, supposed animosity with the culture influences how we engage with people making up that culture and whether or not it's appropriate or meaningful or worthwhile or effective at the end of the day to have an attitude of borderline hostility towards those that are adopting, whether it's the pro-choice worldview, whether it's a, a greater and more expansive um, culture of death kind of worldview, um, that it can be cathartic, but we shouldn't, we can't let that bleed into how we interact with them for the sake of preborn children, for the sake of those caught in the crossfire, those being led to the slaughter. We need to win people, not just arguments. Um, and it's difficult to say that we're even winning arguments when we're just getting the last word in before things either explode into a dumpster fire or somebody runs away, whether crying liberal tears or whether just out of frustration, out of not wanting to talk to people like you and I. Um, so all that to say, let's talk about what we actually say to people that are pro-life. Uh, I, I think of myself and the countless occasions that I've had now talking with pro-lifers at doorsteps and street corners. It's amazing um, how, and, and I think it's important to recognize that we, we talk about our statistics often, our conversational outcomes, um, that, that we draw um, largely from the polar outsides of the demographic spectrum uh, when it comes to abortion support or rejection, particularly at events like Choice Jane and the Abortion Awareness Project and Vehicle Choice Jane and things like that, right? That of the people who are coming to talk to us, we have a disproportionate number of people, first of all, who support abortion through all nine months of pregnancy and are radically supportive of abortion. It's far greater than the indicated polling suggests um, how many Canadians actually hold that worldview? 
And similarly, we talk to a disproportionate number of people who are completely pro-life, um, or at the very least, initially state that they're completely pro-life. And, and I don't think that should surprise us in any ways. We see a slightly different um, breakdown at door knocking, but even then, it's not um, entirely representative because, first of all, at an event like Choice Jane or an event like Abortion Awareness Project down in Florida or um, – I don't know of any Canadian locations that are running the Abortion Awareness Project, um, being the big campus display with the gigantic signs, all that kind of thing. Um, but if you're doing street corner outreach and people are opting in rather than opting out, as it were, people can see you from a little ways away. The people that are most likely to engage with you are the people who probably feel the strongest about abortion. People in the mushy middle, people who are a little bit more reserved in their um, opinions or takes on controversial issues are probably a little less likely to stop and talk with you. Um, you might get some people that are super intellectually honest and like, hey, I've been thinking about abortion for a long time. Um, give me your thoughts. I, I don't know where I stand on the issue. And obviously you do get some people in the bush middle. I don't want to suggest that a hundred percent of the people are on one of two ends of the spectrum, but I think that uh, if, if memory serves correct, we're probably looking at like 30% or so of people that we talk to fully support abortion and 30 or 35% of people we talk to are, are fully pro-life already. Um, and so we're, we're dealing with like 55 to 70% of people that we talk to are fairly far on one end of the spectrum or another. And so we're dealing with like 30 to 40% of people, 30, maybe all the way up to 50% of people that are somewhere in the mushy middle, um, at particularly our street corner activism. Um, and then that's our experience here in Western Canada. And so um, that doesn't guarantee day to day that that's what you're going to see. Uh, but that's a large part of what we see day to day on street corners, a little bit more distributive um, at doorsteps, because you're knocking on literally everybody's door. But even then, um, I, I feel like there's probably some correlation between people who are willing to answer a knock on their door and people who have strong views on particular things and are willing to get into a conversation, whether they're anticipating a Jehovah Witness or a Mormon or somebody selling vacuum cleaners or something like that, I, I don't know. But um, I, I feel like there are a lot of people who are probably ignoring the doors um, getting knocked. I, I think even about my lovely wife and I um, and how I answer the door every time somebody knocks on the door and how often my wife is peering over the um, the window above our front door <laughs> trying to see who's at the door to see whether it's somebody selling cookies or, or doing a bottle drive or somebody trying to upsell her on, on high-speed internet kind of thing. Um, that's what we're dealing with. And so I, I think that we do get a lot – I guess, yeah, at the end of the day, we talk to a lot of people who are pro-life already. And so when you ask the question, what do you think about abortion? That's almost always our opening question. What do you think about abortion? I want to put a, a special emphasis, obviously, on the word you, because I want this to be about them. I want them to feel um, comfortable opening up into a conversation about something that they've probably not thought about a whole, whole lot. Um, what do you think about abortion? And what do I do if they say that they're pro-life? There's a number of things that I'm going to do in a progressive order. There's something of a roadmap that goes along with pro-life as well. I don't have a visual diagram to throw up beside me um, for those of you tuning in on YouTube for a roadmap, but I, I might try to put one of those together um, at some point here because I love my roadmaps. Um, first thing that I want to do, first thing that I want to do is I want to affirm them 
in that because a lot of people obviously are very used to walking on eggshells when it comes to talking about abortion. And so if somebody is willing to state, oh, I, I'm against abortion or I'm pro-life or um, even if they say like, oh, I'm Christian or I'm Catholic or this or that, I'm, I'm even if they say that I'm Muslim, something like that. Um, and giving me the indication that they are against abortion, the first thing that I want to do is I want to affirm them in that. I want them to know that they are among friends, that I'm not going to jump down their throat, that I'm not going to beat them over the head with something. I want them to know that they're among friends. And so I'm going to affirm them like, oh, that's awesome. But I'm not going to stop there because this isn't like I'm satisfied with where you're at. Therefore, carry on with your day. Um, Godspeed to your footfalls kind of thing, but rather I, I need to do a few more things before I'm comfortable or I'm, I'm willing to let you off the hook as it were. Um, so after that initial affirmation, I, I mean, I don't want to grill them right away. I want to affirm them, let them know, okay, you can take your guard down a little bit. You say that you're pro-life. That's awesome. That's really cool. Um, that's good to hear. Something like that. I want to give them some snippet of affirmation so that they know um, where they stand in relation to me. Because oddly enough, there's enough people who are a little bit confused still by the abortion imagery, right? That um, it should be very, very straightforward. And yet, because it's so jarring to a lot of people's daily routines and lives and whatnot, sometimes people are a little bit conflicted in like, okay, who are these people? So I want to affirm them. The second thing that I want to do after that on affirmation is a confirmation. That's awesome. That's really cool. Um, that's really good to hear. In all situations, are you against abortion in all situations? Because there's a lot of people who will claim the name pro-life but not actually be fully pro-life. Um, are you pro-life in all situations? At which point, many people, unfortunately, are going to say, well, I think it might be okay in this case or in that case or in these couple of cases or something like that. In that situation, you're going to treat them like anybody who supports abortion. You're going to treat them with respect. You're going to treat them with dignity, but you're going to walk through common ground analogy question. You're going to go through the human rights argument. You're going to talk through personhood if necessary, and you're going to make them fully pro-life. You're going to get them to the point where they agree that abortion is always a human rights violation, regardless of the age of the child or the circumstances that the parents are faced with. Abortion is never an appropriate solution to a challenging pregnancy, regardless. Okay. So number one is affirmation. Number two is confirmation. Let's confirm that you are actually pro-life in all situations. Number three is I want to gauge what their experience or involvement is in the pro-life movement. I, um, and so I'm going to say something to the effect of like, oh, that, that's awesome. In all situations, you think abortion is wrong in all situations? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Abortion's wrong in all situations. That's awesome. That's really cool. I'm going to affirm them again. If, if I can ask, have you ever been involved in the pro-life movement before? Or like, what has your experience been with abortion and the pro-life movement? And for a lot of people, they're going to say they have never been involved before, right? If they said they've been involved, that they're actively involved, that's really cool. You're fantastic. Tell me about your experiences. Tell me about um, your involvement, all that kind of thing. I want you to feel affirmed in your participation in the culture of life. I want you to feel um, appreciated for your contributions in defense of the weakest and most vulnerable and their families. Um, I want to do that. For those that have never been involved, I'm going to walk through a sneaky common ground analogy and question for them. 
I am also, if anybody is involved in the pro-life movement, not involved in the educational arm, if they say that they are involved in the pastoral arm or particularly in the political arm, no offense to my political friends out there. Um, there's a lot of people who say like, oh, I, I voted, um, I like I've been a little bit involved. I voted for Leslie Lewis in the, in the last conservative leadership election, or I've been to a convention before. I've done this kind of stuff. That's really cool. That's really cool. Tell me about your experience. And then I'm going to build common ground, regardless of whether they say that they've never been involved before or they've been involved in a limited capacity. If they've been involved in an extensive capacity, if you run into like Gwen Landolt or Peter Ryan or Nick Rosendahl or somebody like that um, on a street corner, you don't recognize them. You ask them what they do and Nick Rosendahl's like, oh, I'm, I'm the president of CCBR. You're probably not going to have to grill him on like, but are you doing as much as you can for preborn children? Nick, Nick Rosendahl does an absurd amount for preborn children. Um, but he's probably not the most visible member of CSPR. So I, I wouldn't fault you if you may not recognize him on a street corner. Hopefully you do though, and say hi to him for me if you do. Um, however, I digress. Um, um, unless somebody is like super actively, actively involved, regularly involved, um, with multiple different pro-life efforts or, or in education or that kind of thing, um, I'm going to build common ground. I'm going to say like, you know what? I, I understand that either it's difficult to get involved with an issue like abortion, or it's tempting to get involved in only that limited capacity, whatever it may be. I, I don't want to be demeaning or condescending in, in my use of the term limited capacity. But if they say like, oh, I, I go to the March for Life every year, you know, I, that's awesome. I, I agree that going to something like the March for Life every year is really, really valuable when it comes to showing people that you're not alone that you are part of a greater movement, all that kind of thing. That's so valuable. I'm glad that you're able to do that. Imagine, okay, so I'm going to pull out my analogy here with trotting out a toddler, introducing the infant, whatever um, alliteration you want to use. Um, I was chatting with Blaise Elaine um, a couple of days ago, and he always introduces the infant because it's even a little bit closer to a preborn child. So whatever you end up doing, trotting out the toddler, introducing the infant, something like that. Imagine there were 100,000 born children being killed every single year in Canada. And the vast majority of people in Canada thought that it was okay, at least sometimes, to kill innocent born children. And the majority of the other people who even thought that it was not okay did not think that it was urgent enough to change their daily life about it. Do you think that, that it would be okay to challenge people in that society to do more? For the sake of preborn children, uh, for for born children, that to challenge them to try to educate their their friends, their family, people in their community about the injustice of killing innocent born children. Well, yeah, we we should definitely be doing a lot more to to stop killing innocent born children. Okay, and so if it's appropriate to empower people, challenge people, even make people feel uncomfortable when it comes to killing innocent born children. Don't you think we should be taking a similar approach when it comes to killing innocent preborn children? If our response to 100,000 born children being killed every year and the majority of people in our society being apathetic towards it would be outrage and urgency, don't you think that we should be taking that approach for preborn children as well? Yeah. Okay. How comfortable do you feel talking about abortion? How comfortable, how frequently do you feel like you can get out and participate in street proven, street tested, effective apologetics and strategies. Let's get you plugged in with our group. I want to offer the caveat, um, especially initially, 
that you don't launch right in necessarily to holding a gigantic sign and standing by yourself that we want to give you the tools that you need to have these conversations and then mentor you through your engagement and your outreach so that you're supported every step along the way and make sure that you are in the best position possible to change hearts and minds on the issue of abortion. Um, I, I want to really, really clarify that with people and really particularly emphasize the role of education in changing hearts and minds. Imagine there was 100,000 born children being killed every year. The vast majority of people in, in the nation didn't even think that it was wrong that these born children were being killed and the majority of other people didn't think that it was a high degree of urgency to try to stop it from happening. What would you think of somebody who just went to parliament and banged on the doors of parliament day after day after day and the response was simply, well, the people want it, well, the people want it, well, the people want it. I mean, politics are absolutely important. Politics can be a very, very instrumental tool when it comes to education, but you still need critical mass to be able to get the conversation going. And so wouldn't you agree that at that stage of where society is at, education would be the most important tool for saving those preborn those born children? Yes, okay. If we would take that approach for born children, why not for preborn children? Education is paramount because, first of all, when you think about the three arms of the pro-life movement, namely the crisis arm, the counseling arm of the pro-life movement, the political arm of the pro-life movement, and finally the educational arm, when we look at the crisis and counseling arm of the pro-life movement, working to make abortion unnecessary, they're doing incredible, incredible work, and often they are very well stocked, maybe not fully stocked, maybe not fully manned and, and volunteer hours maxed out. However, they're often in a very, very good position, and yet it's impossible to make pregnancy easier than how easy abortion is perceived to be. And so what is necessary to get more people into the pregnancy care centers is not often a matter of more diapers or more prenatal formulas or more parenting classes, but rather a better understanding of the injustice of abortion, taking that choice off of the table. Because if you're comparing parenting with abortion and you think that abortion is something that you can have on a Friday afternoon and you're back to work, back to school, back to wherever on Monday morning, nobody has to know your life is reset. You don't have to worry about it all. If that's what you have in your mind as what abortion is, then, then it's a hopeless cause to try to make pregnancy easier than that. Yes, obviously we have to make pregnancy easier. However, you, you simply can't compete with that kind of a reset button, right? Like, like you, you cannot ever make pregnancy easier than that. And so we need to make abortion more difficult. We need to show the reality of what abortion does to a preborn child and how that reality sends shockwaves through the rest of society, not only to the parents, but also to everybody else impacted and involved. And so uh, we... We need to supplement the pastoral, the, the counseling, the crisis, whatever you want to call that first arm of the movement. And similarly for politics, like I alluded to, the politics are vitally important to make abortion inaccessible and illegal. However, without the critical mass of people to do so, and even with the critical mass to make abortion illegal, you still need more education to make it unthinkable and unpracticed. We only need to look at places around the world to demonstrate that even a complete ban on abortion does not guarantee that no abortions are happening. Um, as is so often thrown out on social media, wealthy people will always be able to access abortion. Therefore, um, we need to change hearts and minds 
even more than we need to change legislation. Don't get me wrong. I would absolutely accept and embrace and wholeheartedly love any form of legislation to protect preborn children in Canada and around the world. So long as it's not written in a way of like, abortion's awesome before 20 weeks, but after 20 weeks, it's it's wrong. Um, or, or human life begins at 20 weeks after fertilization. Therefore, abortion should be illegal after 20 weeks. Like as long as we're not absolute... Um, um, insert your descriptive term here about our legislation. I think that whether it's sex selective abortion bans, whether it is gestational abortion bans, whether it is whatever we can do to save the most lives tomorrow, I absolutely think that we should do and then press on further and further and further as we build the wave of education. And so again, we're going to con- um, affirm their pro-life worldview. We're going to confirm their pro-life worldview. We are going to engage their experience and involvement. We are going to demonstrate the role of education in what they're doing. The last thing, often the trickiest thing, and the thing that probably relates most to the video on Tuesday, um, uh, Tom McDonald and Ben Shapiro, is our manner of approach. How are we going to approach changing hearts and minds on abortion? Because it can be cathartic to repeat in our head over and over again, facts don't care about your feelings. But guess what? Guess who does care about feelings? The person feeling them. And so as much as we can take solace in the fact that the the logic of the pro-life worldview that we cannot kill innocent human beings to solve problems, yeah, that is based in fact, we don't have to be self-conscious of that worldview that regardless of how upset people are at the worldview, um, that doesn't mean that we just throw that in people's faces and are rude and blunt and not mindful or disrespectful of where they're at in their experience and how to win the person to the pro-life worldview. Yeah, we we talked a couple of weeks ago about how to be more direct, how to push harder, especially in times of urgency. Um, and I'll drop that um, episode in the show notes below as well, that we can get very direct, but we have to build rapport first. And so the number of times I have been in a really, really good conversation with somebody who supports abortion, we're getting somewhere, we're moving in the right direction, we're progressing through the roadmark, roadmap, and then I have some pro-lifer come and be like, oh, abortion is murder, and those who have abortions are murderers and should be locked up for the rest of their lives before they burn a lake of fire. Like, you probably think that I'm exaggerating, but like, I've literally had that happen on numerous occasions, and... Oh man, that, that there's few things that can set off an abortion advocate and and deteriorate a conversation more than something like that. And man, it it takes a lot of restraint for me not to to um <laughs> get get really poignant and really upset with somebody like that, especially with how that can sabotage a conversation. So what do I do? What do I do rather than flipping out and being like, oh, don't listen to that person. They're a moron. They're an idiot. They're a whatever kind of thing. I don't want to throw them entirely under the bus, but I do want to distance my manner of approach from their manner of approach. And I want to talk to them about what is the goal of pro-life outreach? What is the goal of saying anything into the conversation about abortion? Is the goal making myself feel good? Is the goal catharsis when it comes to um, dropping cherry bombs into liberal circles and watching them tear their hair out and gnash their teeth? Is that my goal? Is my goal to demonstrate 
simply the wickedness of the position. It's my goal to demonstrate how much smarter, how much holier, how much better I am than somebody who doesn't hold that. Um, is my goal simply to spit truth without any cognizant, um, any meaningful engagement on the outcome? I don't think that we are going to be held purely to the outcomes of our conversations. I don't think, obviously, theologically, that we are getting into heaven or booted into hell based on how good or how bad our conversations are. I don't think that God's going to say to us, obviously, that like, oh, well, you you weren't able to convince all of these people to become pro-life, therefore you're going to hell kind of thing. I Obviously, that's not how... Christianity works. That's not how life works. That's not how death works. That's not how heaven and hell work. However, I also think that we have ample examples throughout the gospels, throughout scripture, as to the importance of effectiveness, the importance of winning people for Christ, being ambassadors for Christ, being um, all things to all people, to win them for Christ and um, to win them away from sin and away from error and out of darkness into the light and drawing people who have loved darkness and have loved evil towards the goodness of Christ and the goodness of life. And that there is something to be said at the end of the day for efficacy. And so what is the goal of our conversations? It's not about them. It's not about me. I firmly believe that the goal of our conversations has to first and foremost be oriented around the preborn child for whom we are ambassadors. It has to be what is the most effective thing to save their life and to save the souls of those who might be choosing abortion, might be choosing to directly and intentionally kill their own children. Um, and efficacy needs to really needs to direct what we're doing. And if there are ways of changing hearts and minds on abortion that will save preborn children and open the door for greater conversion, shouldn't we be pursuing those options? So first of all, let's talk about the goal. What is the goal? And so sometimes I'll be very direct right away with people, especially if I'm in conversation with an abortion advocate, um, of somebody walks by and says something rude or mean or derogatory or whatever in supposed defense of the pro-life worldview, I might just point blank ask them like, why would you say that? Or like, what do you mean by that? Or what are you trying to accomplish by saying that? And I want to get them on their back foot. What are you trying to accomplish by saying that? What is your goal in saying that? Well, my goal is to to demonstrate that like you can't kill babies, like it is wrong to kill babies. Okay, cool. That's your goal. Your goal is to change people's minds on abortion. If that's your goal, to change people's minds on abortion, then the second thing that we need to do is we need to understand the situation. We need to understand the goal. First of all, we need to understand the situation. I talk about this very often, that we may be the very first people that that somebody encounters who believes in the pro-life worldview, who has ever articulated the pro-life worldview. And in a, in a similar way in like, I, I don't, I try not to draw too many parallels between the pro-life worldview and the gospel as a whole, because I hope that everyone can appreciate that the gospel is far larger and far more profound than, than the pro-life worldview, which is very simple. Um, very relevant to the gospel, obviously. However, we need to understand the situation that for the vast majority of people, they've never encountered anyone who is pro-life, and they've certainly never encountered anyone who has bucked the stereotype of what it means to be pro-life. Um, and, and we can think about people who have 
supposedly heard and rejected the gospel. For many people, they've never actually heard the, the gospel. They've never actually heard it. They've heard lots of people talk about Christianity and talk about Jesus Christ. They've, heard, they've seen a lot of people interact with the world and not understand them and not understand what they're saying or why they're saying it. And we can't really say that that's them having heard the gospel in its entirety or in its true substance. And so we need to understand the situation. And the situation in Canada, at the very least, is that we are living in the third generation of abortion support. The people that you're talking to at high schools and universities, they support abortion very likely. And very likely, their parents support abortion. This is not some kind of rebellion, um, some silent revolution happening. This is not rebellion against their parents. This is actually in accordance with what their parents have taught them, that abortion is an appropriate solution to challenging pregnancies. So it's not only the person in front of you that supports abortion, but also their parents that support abortion. And for many of them, even their grandparents support abortion. I, I talked to Jonathan a long, long time ago about the like, elderly, grandmotherly kind of person approaching me a choice, Jane, who is wholeheartedly supportive of abortion. And that is becoming more and more common because of where we're at in the abortion history of Canada, that abortion has been fully legal since before I was born. It has been accessible since close to when my parents were born. Um, and it has been talked about and fought for since close to when my grandparents were coming of age and talking about important issues, right? And so, and I'm 33, I'm older than most of the people that I'm talking to about abortion, especially at universities and high schools. And so um, we need to understand our goal. We need to understand the situation that many people have not consciously and deliberately and very actively chosen abortion. They've not done their research. They, they are appealing to authority on their um, support of abortion. They are appealing to the authority of not only the media, not only social media, not only their liberal um, teachers and counselors and government and all this mean, nasty stuff that we want to talk about as conservatives, but also their parents and their grandparents and all of the people that they love and care for in their life have probably told them that abortion is okay. That's what we're dealing with. That's the situation. And we are the pinprick of light that needs to beckon them over. Yes, this isn't a matter of the grass is greener on the, over, uh, on the other side, that, that we have better chairs and kinder counselors and we, are, we make better jokes and better songs kind of thing. This isn't grass is greener on the other side. Sure, we need to demonstrate that the pro-abortion worldview is not a, simply a not quite as nice green grass as we have over in the pro-life worldview, but rather literally a wasteland of children who've been ripped apart in their mother's wombs. Um, this is what we're dealing with. We need to demonstrate that, yes, but we need to do so in charity. We need to win the person to, first of all, trust us and want to have a conversation with us. We need to have that character that we talk about. Uh, I'm going to drop a lot of episodes in the show notes below. Um, we need to have that character to even have the conversation in the first place, to even open the door for the opportunity for them to reject the pro-abortion worldview. Um, and so they need to understand the goal. They need to understand the situation. And then understanding both of those, they need to understand the strategy. What is the street-tested approach for how to win people to the pro-life worldview? And that's where you invite them into a workshop. That's where you invite them to get involved with CCBR. That's where you get them um, involved with the pro-life group that you're, that you're working with, whether that's um, your, your group down in New Zealand, shout out to the New Zealand people, whether that's your local community group. I know there's a lot of people listening in um, Saskatoon or Regina. I know there's people listening in Winnipeg and around the world. Uh, big shout out to all of those people. Um, 
However, get them involved with your group. Once you've demonstrated what is the goal of pro-life outreach and pro-life conversations, what is the situation that we are encountering to achieve that goal? And finally, let me share with you the strategy on how we can change hearts and minds. And, and it's amazing. It, it's kind of funny, actually, being able to articulate this in front of the person that you're trying to change their mind. So a, a three-person conversation, I think about a conversation where I literally laid this out to a pro-life person in front of the pro-abortion person that I was talking to of like, hey, we get that like our goal is to change hearts and minds so the children are not killed by abortion. But like you have to understand that the majority of people, including this woman that I'm chatting with right now, that like she's not malicious. She's not here trying to kill babies. This is something that she genuinely believes based on her personal experience and everyone that she's talked to up until this point. Like, like she genuinely believes that abortion is an appropriate solution to a challenging pregnancy. So my goal in this conversation is to demonstrate to her that I get that parents are faced with challenging pregnancies. I get that there are problems that demand solutions. However, we can't kill innocent humans to solve even the hardest of problems as demonstrated by talking about born children. And if we're not going to kill born children, why are we going to kill preborn children? And like we've talked a lot about how all humans get human rights and how human life begins at fertilization and how age-based discrimination is not an appropriate way to solve challenging pregnancies. The entire conversation that I'm having with people is trying to help them understand that these problems demand better solutions than abortion. Does that make sense? And both of them are nodding along of like, yeah, 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 that makes sense. That approach to how you change hearts and minds makes sense. Meeting people where they're at, helping them understand the undeniable fact that human life begins at fertilization and the common sense logic that um, all humans deserve human rights because the only thing that we share equally in common is our membership in the human family. Um, that's the strategy. That's what I want to share. That's my approach to talking to pro-life people. Again, I apologize, especially to those, uh, just as I'm thinking about it, the people down in New Zealand who believe that I have an accent somehow. I, I don't think that I have an accent at all. I apologize if I got carried away and I spoke way too fast. If you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, you can probably slow down the recording. Um, but I do apologize. I, I just get a little bit carried away, especially when it comes to talking about pro-lifers. Deep breath. Okay, uh, let's walk through all of that again. We're going to affirm their pro-life worldview. We're going to confirm their pro-life worldview in all situations. If they don't, um, if they support abortion in any cases, we're going to talk through that like we would anyone else. Affirm, confirm. Number three is gauge their experience and involvement in the pro-life movement. Number four is share with them through common ground analogy question, the value and importance of building a foundation of education. Okay, the role of education. Fifth and finally, we are going to talk about the manner of our approach. Let's all be on the same page. First of all, with the goal that we have winning people to the pro-life worldview. Number two, the situation that we are faced with, the reality that the majority of people who support abortion um, do so because everybody that they trust in their life, including their parents and grandparents, probably support abortion. That's our situation that we are um, going into a very, very dark room. And we are trying to draw as many people to the light as possible, understanding that many people have never even seen the light of the pro-life worldview before. And finally, understanding the strategy of meeting people where they're at, helping them understand that we're not their adversaries or opponents, but rather people that want to work with them to generate and commit to better solutions than we are currently giving to mothers and fathers, um, a solution which directly and intentionally kills their innocent preborn child. 
I hope that that all makes sense. I'm sure that this is a little bit of a spicy one. So please give me your feedback, whether in the comments below, give us a like, give us a, a rate and review, please. Um, and, and give me that. Um, go to our YouTube channel as well. Check out previous episodes. Hit me up, email at prolifeguys.com if you have questions or suggestions or ideas or feedback or concerns or if you disagree entirely with everything that I've said today. Um, yeah, I want to hear from you. And so I, I hope that you enjoyed. Please share this around if you'd be willing. We are almost ready to be circulating posters that you can put up in your community group or your church or um, on your front door or something like that, whatever, wherever you want to put a poster. So uh, more news on that coming shortly. But thank you all so, so much for being a part of this. May God bless you abundantly wherever you're at, however many hours are left in your day. Hey.